Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. If you're listening to us via podcast, I just want to say thank you that you decided to join us. And we pray that this message would help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Now, as we close out this series on Word of the Wise, I hope it's been helpful and practical uh, for you as we've gained insights from the book of Proverbs and other scripture as well. Now, these principles that you gain in wisdom are really so that you will have more wisdom in the area of relationships, not only with people, but with God. But today I want to focus specifically on an area that many of us uh, face each and every day, and that is in the area of marriage. You know, I try not to talk too much on marriage because the singles feel left out. But here's the truth, and I want you to catch this. The principles about relationship, especially the ones within marriage, they're good for universal stuff. They're good with the boss. They're good with the neighbor. They're good with people in the community. They're good with your kids. They're good with siblings. They're good with whoever you have relationship with. They're universal. Why? Because God created marriage. And it's where we learn how to interact as children from mom and dad being married. You get the idea? So there's something very special and dynamic. If you're single, take special note. You'll be ahead of the game. If your marriage is struggling, welcome. You have a horrible case of the normals. Because marriages struggle. But how do you get out of it? Well, we're going to kind of look at that today. So I kind of shared with you as we opened up the story of how Chris and I were uh, reconnected after a couple of years because I married an older woman. She's busting up over there. <laughs> no, I'm not. So we met in high school. I told you that about the library. But something dynamically happened when we were reconnected at Calvary Chapel for a concert. I knew something changed. Something had happened because it was impossible for me to reconnect with Chris because she was off already in college and doing her own thing. And I had no way to connect with her. I didn't have the Internet. I didn't have any social media. So God reconnected us. And I'll tell you something. It's never been the same. And I wouldn't change it for anything. It's been 37 years this summer. And to God be the glory. I know to many of you guys, you're like going, oh, you're just a young buck. But marriage can be a beautiful thing. And the Bible talks about the believers in Christ as being the bride of Christ. And clearly, marriage is a holy, sacred estate. And Christian marriages are meant to be one of sacrifice, one of unconditional love, and one of true union. Today, let's gain some wisdom in the area of relationships, specifically marriage from God's Word. Some wisdom. So we're going to look at three things, and there's a whole lot more than three. But these are three big ones, three big nuggets we can learn about. 
So if you have your Bible, if you want to look on the screen, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. And this is the New King James for this verse. And the, one of the things I want to focus on, number one, would be it's important to seek to be helpful to him or to her. Seek to be helpful. So verse 4 reads, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. And all the men are feeling good. You see, you wife, you need to bow down. Wives, you folks get it all together. See, this is all, and the, wife, and the husbands are feeling pretty good. Well, I didn't put it up here, but we could go to Ephesians. You know, there's a place there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. That means he went to the cross and died for the church. What's that mean? Lay down your life for your wife. See, this scripture in Proverbs is saying that it's really universal. It's not just wives. It's husbands, wives. It goes in either direction. It's that mindset. The, the word excellent in the, in the original Hebrew word uh, version, it could actually be virtuous. So essentially, the writer wants us to see that the type of character each spouse has will be a crucial piece to their life, to the life of their marriage. The one characteristic that simply must be present for a healthy marriage is self-sacrifice. Not their sacrifice. Your sacrifice. That's the hard one. In John 15, verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his, one's life for his friends. I teach the couples. I do, I'm doing marriage counseling on Thursday night with a couple. And one of the things I teach all my couples when I do pre-marriage counseling is I teach them this. I, I teach them, stop making it about you. If you want a happy marriage, don't go in it for you. If you make it all about you, you're going to be in trouble. And the first way to make, make it all more about the marriage, be best friends before your lovers. Go to friendship before romance. Everything is sweeter at that point. There's something dynamic when you're best friends. Why? It's nothing to get on the phone, you know, the avocado phone back in the day with the 50-foot cord, right, where you can go and hide in the other bathroom or something with the cord going under the door. And you're talking and talking and talking to your sweetie for hours. Why? Your best friends. Friends that don't have a problem talking. Be best friends first. You see, those whom we truly care about, we will sacrifice for. We don't have any problems sacrificing for people we care about. That's why a soldier jumps on a hand grenade so that the other guys don't die. Because in his mind, they all have different last names, but they are his brother. Those are his brothers. I'll sacrifice for my brothers. 
And the reality of sacrificial love is that no matter what the situation is, this love will be helpful to the other person. For instance, in the case of Christ, his sacrifice made a way for me to be able to be right with God, a holy God. Jesus has given me the ability to choose to follow him. He wants to be my friend. As a matter of fact, he calls me friend. When I look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul, Paul says something here. He gets this thing about sacrifice. Why don't you read it out loud with me? Ready, begin. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Wow. Now, this may get a little personal. Have you ever been in a place like a restaurant and you weren't getting the best service? You've been waiting for a refill, waiting for some silverware, waiting for this, wait, and, and you are just throwing a hissy fit. And the place is packed. And there's only one person serving all the tables. Hello? Excuse me, can I get a refill already? Little selfish ambition, little self-centered. No, I know nobody else has done that. I, I get it. I'll be the example. I get it. I'll, I'll be that. Folks, sometimes we're selfish and we don't even know it. Sometimes we're so self-centered and we have no clue we are. God, forgive us. I'll tell you what, when you're really self-sacrificing, it just feels right. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Giving up a bunch of stuff. You guys have all done it. You've gone without. So that your kids could have something. You've gone without. So you could help out a friend or a neighbor. And I get that. But I want you to know God will never ignore or forget that. But sometimes we can slack. And only you and God know if you've been slacking on it. I don't get to live off my good stuff I did years ago. God wants me to be consistent that there would be a continuity of self-sacrifice even today. Amen? Amen? If we want to have a thriving marriage, it begins by valuing our spouse above ourself. It means stop complaining. That's not easy. It's easy to complain. Do you know your spouse doesn't want to hear, my, my wife doesn't want to hear Marvin complaining about politics. Oh, I just got personal with you guys. It got quiet. She doesn't want to hear that. And she doesn't want to hear about, oh, the problem with the lawnmower. She doesn't want to hear about, she doesn't want to hear me complaining. Why? It doesn't help anything. But she needs to know is, hey, sweetie, I got to go fix something. And it's going to be a million dollars, but I'll handle it. 
I'm just being funny. Communicating, I'm going to fix something, lets her know something's wrong, but I don't have to get all stressed and bothered and make her feel stressed and bothered. And the same with you guys. Man, it's easy to complain and not even know you're complaining. I'm just talking about the facts. Yeah. There needs to be a shift if we're self-sacrificing. One of the ways that we can uh, be helpful is uh, it's just in a very practical way. Some of you guys are, are doing this already, and I think it's important, but there's ways to demonstrate. You know, you guys, you guys are familiar with love languages, and one of the love languages, my poor wife, she's in this whole sermon today. One of, uh, of her gift love, love languages is... Um, it's not gift giving, it's acts of service. And so if I pull out the, the vacuum and I'm doing this and vacuuming this, it does absolutely nothing for me. But she's like, woo, warm fuzzy. In a practical way, I'm communicating love to her when I do dishes, when I take out the trash. What in a practical way can you bless your spouse? Maybe fill up the tank. Wife, not just husband. Maybe you, you do those little chores. Maybe you do those little extra things in a very practical, simple way, tangible way. See, our spouses don't want to just hear us say, I love you. They want us to show it, to demonstrate it in a practical way. You can also do it in a very thoughtful way. My brother just uh, became super old now. He's 65. So, yeah, he's my brother, so I, I got to just tease him. But uh, he had a big birthday, and his wife uh, got a couple tickets for them to go on a cruise. And uh, they went all the way down the coast to, um, not, not the Ensenada one, a different one. It was a real nice cruise. And so, they're, you know, the night before, he, he hooked up with his friend. Um, that he's known since he was four years old, his buddy Ricky. And he and Ricky kind of reconnected a few years ago and lives in Southern California. My brother lives in Crockett. And uh, they hooked up to have dinner before they went and got on the, you know, boarded the, the cruise the next day. And so they did. And he goes, man, I'll see you later. Oh, man, I wish you could go. Yeah, I wish I could go too, Keith, you know, Ricky says. And so they get on the boat, and you kind of know where this is going. And all of a sudden, my brother looks over. He goes, man, that brother looks like Ricky. He goes, man, that looks like Ricky's wife. That's Ricky. And he gets all excited, runs over there like a little kid, and he hugs on Ricky, and he's laughing, and he's crying. He goes, what are you doing here? And Myra, his wife, set it all up. You see, it was so thoughtful that she set all the arrangements, did everything that needed to happen so that his best friend from being four years old could celebrate his big birthday. See, those are things that demonstrate love instead of just saying, I love you. What about you? What could you do to show some sacrificial love? Here's another one. Don't fall captive to comparison. In Proverbs 12, 11, it says, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who, who 
follows frivolity. Now, frivolity is, it, it's a shallowness. It's, a, it's nonsense. It's superficial. But he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. It means you're a fool. So what land is the writer talking about? He's talking about this guy's land. Meaning there's a responsibility to your own property, to your own land. And as you take care of the land, as you nurture it, as you till it, as you, as you serve it with all that it needs, that land is going to in return produce fruit and a bounty and all the things that you might need. Do you not see the wisdom in Proverbs here? As you care for your spouse, for him, for her, as you tend to it, as it's a responsibility that God has given you, that as you give to them and take care of them, God at the same time is having them take care of you. Isn't that beautiful? Something like you reap what you sow. For some people, it seems that they feel so hopeless in this relationship, maybe even in marriage that they're in, that they would rather give up that current reality and just attempt to start all over again and think it's going to get better. Now, I'm not talking about that marriage is always wrong. Somebody's abusive. Somebody's committed adultery. The Bible says, I get it. But that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about, oh, they leave their socks in the middle of the living room. They always walk in and put their muddy, dirty shoes and boots right there. I'm talking about things that, well, why did you spend that? You know we don't have it. Now we can't pay this bill. I'm talking about real stuff. That if you found a way to sit down and look each other in the eye and pray that God will give you wisdom to work through the issues, to find a way, A lot of times what happens is we start comparing. Let me go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Did you catch the part, the two are united into one? This passage is telling us indirectly to avoid comparing your spouse to mommy or to daddy or to your best friend's husband or wife. When you start comparing, you start ruining your own marriage. Don't go there. Don't go there. Notice in this verse that a that the couple is to leave their parents and are to be joined together as one. Joined as one, there's no room for comparing your spouse to a parent. Now, this doesn't mean that parents are to have no value or not to be honored or, or not to be sought out for some wisdom or some insight because they have experience. 
It's that we're not to use our families to compare, to judge, or to harm our spouse. Because mom always made it this way. Mom always did it that way. You know, you're, my dad was always like this. He was so good to always remember this and that. He always took us on, you know, 70-day vacations. What? You know, it's interesting that we could look at something and think that we're helping the situation by saying, that's better than you. And we think it helps. That, it's just silly when you think about it. When you compare, you're saying, that's better than you. Do you think that speaks good to them? Of course not. Of course not. I'm not sure if I have time for this, but, but I, I really want to bring this out. His name's Ed Stetzler. He's just a phenomenal uh, man of God, and he's written a ton of books, and um, highly educated and, and whatnot. And um, at one time, I was in a conference, and he was one of the speakers, and he shared about a common phrase that's used all over the Christian world uh, about divorce, that the Christian divorce rate versus the non-Christian divorce rate are the same, 50-50. He goes, anybody know where that came from? And we all acted like we were brilliant, and we go, nope. He goes, I do. It came from some kind of conference where a bunch of youth pastors all came together and they all represented some really messed up families of families who really didn't go to church, but because the kids were coming to youth group, they called them Christian families. And the end result was that the majority of the kids there, at least 50% of them, were all coming from divorced families. So they said, okay, anecdotally, 50% of Christians are therefore all divorcing like everybody else one of the worst ways to make a comparison and call it science so there, there's an article out of christian living um i got it here anyways uh this was a few years ago but his name is glenn stan and he says this quote christian divorce at roughly the same rate as the world unquote it's one of the most quoted stats by Christian leaders today, and it's perhaps one of the most inaccurate. Here's the truth. People who seriously practice a traditional religious faith have a divorce rate markedly lower than the general population, and it's always been that way. The factor making the most difference is religious commitment and practice. What appears intuitive is true. Couples who regularly practice any combination of serious religious behaviors and attitudes, attend church nearly every week, read their Bible, spiritual materials regularly, pray privately together, generally take their faith seriously, living not as perfect disciples, but serious disciples enjoy significantly lower divorce rates than mere church members or people who vaguely or sporadically and the general public or unbelievers. Isn't that interesting? If you bring Jesus into your marriage, it's going to last. We need to hear that. 
The comparison trap is real, and those who are married are not, if you're not careful, it has the potential to ruin the marriage or ruin your family. Statements like, why can't you just be more like your brother, be more like your sister? Do you think that helps? I bet if I was to ask anybody here ever had that said to you, there'd be hands that'd be raised. Or you are just like your uncle, the jailbird. And then that kid ends up going to prison. See, when we communicate rejection, when we communicate disapproval, we're not going to measure up. Those kids have no hope. In essence, we've actually cursed them. We didn't even know it. Have you ever stopped to think, do I use words that words of comparison against my spouse, against my child or children? Do, do you realize that words of comparing bring about hurt? They leave a scar. Attempting to tell someone to be someone other than who God destined them to be really is a form of a curse. You're anointed to be you. Why tell the kid to be something that they're not? So what's the answer? Speak words of life over your spouse, over your children, over your loved ones. When you see them doing something that stands out, bless them by telling them so. Honey, the way that you encourage the kids makes me so proud of you. I want to be more like that. The way that you have your faith, it's so real. The way that you cook, your friendship, the way that you're friends to other people, your thoughtfulness, you find out those things and you mark that, wow, you speak life to your spouse, to your kids, to your friends. Be an encourager. Here's the third one. Don't be afraid to seek guidance. Man, this is one I, I've seen. Especially as people get older, no way are they asking for help. It's like asking a guy, you know, uh, do you need a map? Do you need a GPS there, honey? I got it. I know where I'm at. Not me. I get lost in the phone booth. Well, they had phone booths. I, I'm, I'm grateful for a map. If there's something wrong in my life, it just seems I need to have more faith. Ever heard that quote? It's a myth. Sometimes you don't need more faith. Do you know Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can tell that, that mountain over there to move from there to here, and it will. Sometimes what you need is just something practical, some practical insight, some practical understanding. Haven't you ever seen that? An older man telling a younger, a younger kid or a younger man, say, hey, hey, let me show you how to use the tool. Don't grab it like that. Why? Man, you go like that, you're going to bring that blade and it's going to come right up here and cut you in the leg. Get that on the side. There you go. Let me show you how to use this. Oh, I'm going to roof. You're going to nail. Okay, well, hold the nail this way with your palm up. So when you tap that nail in, you'll be able to hold it. If you do it this way, you're going to hit your nails. It hurts. Just, just a little insight. It's just real practical. And before you know it, they advance. You know, sometimes we need that kind of insight. His name is Nolan Ryan. He is a Hall of Famer. 
and by many probably the, the fastest fastball pitcher the league has ever seen. Some argue that it was 107 to 108 miles an hour. Nolan Ryan Express. Well, you know, before he became Nolan Ryan Hall of Famer, he became Nolan, Nolan Ryan the wild man. He would hit as many batters as he would pitch. His ball was wild. It came fast, but it was wild. He had no control of it. He told his new wife, he says, honey, I think this is it. I don't think they're going to call me back. And somehow he got drafted onto this team. And that, that team had a pitching coach. And that pitching coach went over and watched Nolan pitch. He says, Nolan, I have a few things I need to show you. And he showed Nolan what he was doing that caused inconsistency in his throwing. Before you knew it, Nolan could throw it anywhere the catcher put his mitt. He could hit it at violent speed. And then he became Nolan Ryan, the Hall of Famer. Because he got some guidance. And what if maybe you got some guidance, some coaching, some insight at any level... Nolan Ryan was, was a professional baseball player. He had over two decades of doing this thing. And what did he do? He took some coaching. We all could use some coaching. I don't care how young or old we are. And maybe what you need is just a little, of little bit of guidance. Proverbs eleven fourteen: Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. You know, the first part of this verse is quite simple. The writer seems to believe that there is no true guidance. If you don't have a coach, if you don't have someone in your life who can invest in you and guide you and show you things that you cannot see about yourself, you're going to be in harm's way. It's easy to get lost. I was in Bulgaria with Pastor Nick. We were on a missions trip. And we had a little R&R &R time, so we decided to go around. We heard about this little amphitheater that Paul the Apostle would actually speak at. So we were able to find the ruins and all that, and we just started walking anywhere. And we managed to get lost, but we didn't tell his wife that. We knew we were lost. She thought we knew where we were going because we faked it really good. Eventually, we saw something familiar. And then we eventually found our way back. How many know what's great about a map is that it tells us somebody's already been there. And they created a route for us to take. So sometimes what we need is somebody who's already been there. That can help us kind of like a map. And say, let me show you something. Whenever you're communicating with your spouse... Don't use the word you when you guys are heated and angry. What do you mean? Because I'll tell you what comes after the word you. You always. You never. It's not good. So stay away from the word you when you're angry. Isn't that a nice little tip? Because before you know it, you're going to do things you're going to regret. There's a way to fight fair. Sometimes 
We didn't know there was a way to fight fair. I teach my, I just, I told my, my couple on Thursday night, I said, hey, I said, uh, I said to the, to the groom-to-be, I said, hey, you have an exacto knife? He goes, yeah, I got an exacto knife. I said, grab your dictionary, flip over to the D's, find the word divorce, and with the exacto knife, cut it all out. Cut out the word divorce. Now you're not allowed to ever, ever use that word when you get married. It doesn't exist. It's not in the dictionary. So don't think about it and don't ever say it. Even in jest, it's not funny. Don't ever use it. We need a map. Sometimes we need a person who's made the map to help us, to guide us, to give us some insights. Don't be afraid to seek guidance, to seek insight like a pitching coach. Because it could be the difference in having a Hall of Fame marriage. You know, when Chris and I face those difficult times in life, it's interesting, I was thinking about it today. Um, you know, this, this spring, you know, this school semester, so to speak, it's 40 years. 40 years. And one of the secret things that we've learned is when we face those hard times, we pray together. We pray. We pray in the Spirit. We hold our hands together and we pray. I don't care how long you've been married. If you just go through the routine of being at the dinner table and saying, good God, good food, amen, let's eat. You're missing it. Pray over your spouse. Pray for them. Let them pray for you. Pray over you. Pray over your kids, your grandbabies. Pray. Pray in the Spirit. Sometimes my praying gets in the way of what God wants to do, and I just pray in the Spirit, and it frees it all up. Pray. It's the secret sauce. As we wrap things up, I want to encourage you to turn your attention back to the topics that we've covered these last four sessions. And one of them was healthy fear of God. Not, a, not an unhealthy fear of God. Wisdom with where we work. And work is anything. It's not just a place you get a paycheck. Wisdom with our words, how we talk, how we treat one another. And this also pertains to marriage. Proverbs is full of good counsel, of wisdom, of insight, and guidance. But like any amazing resource, you've got to be willing to really get into it for it to benefit you. Folks, we really, truly desire that your marriage would thrive and be a blessing. Lord, I just pray a blessing on your people. Lord, whether they're married or they're single or they're widowed or widowers, Lord, there's something dynamic about the experience of marriage. And God can still use us no matter where we're at. 
And help us to be willing to seek guidance, to seek wisdom. Not only from you and the Word of God, but from those leaders that you've brought up within your church that can be a blessing. The men and women of, who've gone through it already, God, who know how to listen, who know how to share, who know how to coach. Anybody can be a player, but not everybody can be a coach. God, help us in our hearts to be self-sacrificing. Help us to stop comparing. I wish we had that. I wish it was more like this. I wish you were more like them. Help us just to trust you, Lord. And trust you. We bless you, Lord. I pray blessing on your people. And may everyone feel welcome at River Rock. Your will, your way, in Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.